We continue in our sermon series in the book of Acts. So let's have God's word open us up to Acts chapter 3. And we'll be going from verse 1 all the way to 26. Acts chapter 3, starting on verse 1. And when you're there, I'll ask that you rise for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 3, we'll start from verse 1. Now this is the word of the Lord. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it had And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, excuse me, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But God, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these things. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, 
and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Would you join me once again in prayer? God, uh, you are a living God, and we know that you speak through your living word. We know that the Spirit has been given to your church to teach and guide us in all things. And so at this hour, Spirit, would you open our minds, would you open our hearts, so that once again we may see Christ as Lord over all. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Today's passage records the first miracle performed in the church. Peter and John, they were on their way to the temple for a prayer meeting. And at one of the entrances, there was a beggar, lame from birth, asking the two disciples for alms. And Peter says this, gold and silver I do not have, but in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And verse 8 records that this man, upon hearing these words, he stood up, he walked, he entered the temple And when it finally hit him, when he finally realized that, you know what, I'm no longer lame. Remember, he has no memory, no muscle memory, no mental memory of ever walking. When he realizes, I am healed, he starts jumping up and praising God. He stood, he walked, he leaped, and then he praised Now, all this happened in public, and everyone knew who this beggar was. People passed by this man every day on their way to the temple. But on this day, when the people saw this man inside the temple, not outside, when they saw him jumping for joy, not begging for money, everyone was astonished. Everyone. Well, everyone except Peter and John. You see, Peter and John knew that it was Jesus who had healed this man. And everyone begins to gather around them amazed. They're wondering, what happened? And Peter stands up, and he preaches this sermon, the second sermon. And I can sum this message up by these five words, the crucified Christ is Lord. That's the message. The crucified Christ is Lord. And so Peter says, repent, that times of refreshing may come as God is restoring all things. Peter was the original Baptist preacher. Repentance, refreshment, restoration, the three R's. For the past month, we've been uh, studying Acts because as a church, we have to know where we came from to know where we are headed. Isn't it true that we have to know our history first before we can move forward, continuing our story? This is the reason why adopted children who never met their biological parents often go searching for them. They look for their parents not because they want to live with them again necessarily, but they look for them. Why? 
because they have to discover their past before they can move forward. After the civil rights movement in America, there was another movement among black Americans, and it was a movement to rediscover their African roots. So during that time, many black Americans went back to Africa to learn about their culture, to learn about their heritage. Again, it wasn't so that they can dwell on the past, but it was an effort to move forward. They needed to go back to move forward. That's why many movies and novels are about the main character discovering his or her past, their origins. Remember the Jason Bourne um, series, The first movie is all about Jason Bourne discovering who he is, his identity. You know, and on a side note, if you or someone right now is struggling with where God is leading you in your life, try looking back. You know, one of the most common commands in the Bible is to remember, right? To look back. And that's because sometimes we have to look back to get a clearer picture of what's ahead. Go back to your Ebenezer, right? Go back to the things that remind you that God has helped you thus far. If you keep a journal, go back to it, read it. If you write your QTs, go back and read it. Go back and listen to previous sermons that have touched you. Go back to the reminders of grace in your life. You know, a good driver doesn't always keep his or her eyes glued ahead. What does a good driver, what does he do? He or she looks back through the rearview mirror, through the side mirrors. Because knowing what's behind you gives you perspective for what's ahead. Maya Angelou said this, If you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. See, as a church... This is what we are setting out to do with the study in Acts. We're looking back to the church's beginnings to receive guidance and inspiration for the church today and the church tomorrow. Now, all of this sounds great. All of this sounds really good until we come to a passage like today, Acts 3, a story that is quite different from our experiences of church today. I mean, think about it. When was the last time that you saw a miracle before walking into a prayer meeting? I mean, for the church today, people walking into the prayer meeting is the actual miracle. When was the last time you and I, when was the last time the church, we had no money and we ministered powerfully in Jesus' name? You know, it's interesting, this is what Peter says. He says this, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This is what Peter says. You know what the church in America says, or most churches say? I think most churches would say something like this. They'd say, I have lots of silver and gold. I have lots of it. But what I do have, I don't want to give to you. So in the name of Jesus, be blessed. Or, 
Or, or the church could actually say this, I have no strong conviction in Jesus, but what I do have, gold and silver, I give to you. Be fed and satisfied and send us a report of how you spent the money. You know, this saying, gold and silver, I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. You know, whenever I read and study Acts, trying to seek guidance and inspiration for the church today, I can't help but feel this sense of distance, that church life in Acts seems so foreign to our experiences. Remember we saw in Acts 2 last week, what was the church doing? They were sharing everything. They were sharing everything. Poor and rich, they all came together. They saw each other as equals, and they met in their homes. They, get, they broke bread. They shared everything. It says they had everything in common. I mean, when was the last time you experienced that in church? Where you felt, you know what? I share everything in common with these people. You know, sometimes when I read Acts, I'm thinking, man, why is it so different? Now, I want you to know that um, the church in every generation struggled with this exact same thing. Even the church in Acts, even the early believers and the disciples, before the Holy Spirit came, wrestled with this feeling of inferiority. See, the disciples wrestled with this feeling that they too were not measuring up to their past. Consider, Peter and the disciples, who are they following? They're following Jesus. You know, the last person to teach and preach publicly was Jesus. Can you imagine Peter having to preach after the people heard Jesus preaching? Can you imagine if you and I, if we were in the crowd and we heard Peter preach the two sermons that are recorded in Acts 2 and Acts 3, if we heard that sermon, what would we say? We'd say, that was good, but he's no Jesus. He doesn't tell good stories like Jesus does. Ever since I became a pastor, I always had this feeling that I just don't measure up to the prior generations of pastors. I fall short in every way. When I think about my predecessors, those who've gone before me, I think, man, I don't measure up to those guys. But you know, if you ask that generation, I'm sure they'll say the same thing about the previous generation. And that generation will say the same thing about their previous generation. Imagine the generation of Christians who followed the the church during the time of the Reformation? I mean, how can Christians who gave up their lives, uh, how can we measure up to the previous generation who gave up their lives so that the church can be founded on grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, and Christ alone? You see, this feeling of distance, like, you know what? The church in Acts, I just don't, it's so far away from us This sentiment goes all the way back to Peter, the first preacher in the church, because he's no Jesus. 
how can he lead the church during this time when only a few years ago it was Jesus leading? But it's precisely for this reason that this miracle occurs. You know, if the early church, the church in Acts, wrestled with the question, can we continue the ministry of Jesus? This sign, this healing in Acts 3, was confirmation. Yes. What do I mean? Well, if you actually read the story, you'll, you'll see that this story um, resembles a, a familiar story in the Gospel of John. This story in Acts 3 has many similarities with another miracle performed by Jesus, and that's in Acts, or that's in John 5. In John 5, there's a man, uh, an invalid, and he couldn't walk for 38 years. He was by an entrance called the Sheep's Gate. When Jesus sees him, he tells him, get up, take your mat, and walk. And after this man is miraculously healed, the religious leaders, they become disturbed and they begin to interrogate Jesus. That's what happened. Fast forward a few years, Peter meets a beggar who was lame. And Acts 4 tells us he was lame for over 40 years. So very close. This beggar is also by a gate, a gate called Beautiful. And how does Peter command him? He says, get up and walk, using almost the exact same words. And after in Acts 4, what happens when this man is healed? The religious leaders begin to interrogate Peter and the disciples. Two two parallel stories, Jesus' miracles and Peter's miracles. Which is greater? They're the same. They're very similar. And you can't say that what Peter did was a diet version of Jesus' miracles. You can't say what Peter did is a watered-down version. They are identical in power and in witness. This is not the only time that you'll actually find parallel stories in Acts and the Gospels. Throughout Acts, we'll see over and over again the acts of the apostles having close semblances to the ministry done by Jesus in the Gospels. Turn a few pages ahead, Acts 7. Before Stephen is being stoned, what does he say? He says, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's the exact same thing that Jesus said. Acts 8, Philip is on the road. And he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. And what does he do with this Ethiopian eunuch? He opens the scriptures so that he can see how the prophets spoke of Jesus. What happens at the end of Luke? Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. And he does the same thing with two other disciples. He opens the scriptures so that they can see Jesus. Acts 9 Peter raises a dead girl in the exact same way that Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. And this continues all throughout Acts. 
when you read Acts and you hear the stories, the ministry of the church and what is going on, they are echoes of what Jesus did in years past. You see, we find as we read Acts that the ministry of the church closely resembles the ministry of Jesus. Now, why is this happening? Is this all just a coincidence? No. Jesus, the head of the church, the one who is guiding and leading the church through his Holy Spirit, he wants to make it clear to the church in Acts, and he wants to make it clear to us today that though Jesus ascended in the flesh, he is still present and working in the church today. The age of the church, as it has received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is not some trimmed-down version of Jesus and his ministry. It's not this watered-down version of Jesus' ministry. The ministry of the church is the ministry of Christ. I remember when I was in high school, Every year, the senior group uh, put on a musical, and this musical was called Sing. And every year, as the seniors stepped up, there was this mounting pressure to be just as good, if not better. Every year, there was this pressure on the seniors to put together this amazing musical that wouldn't fall short of musicals in the past year. And those who were involved in this musical always had this feeling of inferiority, this feeling of fear. What if the musical this year isn't as good as last year? What if we don't measure up to two years ago? And there was always this, this, this sinking feeling that, that this musical is going to die with us and after this year's production, the school is going to wipe away the budget, and we're not going to do this anymore because we're going to fail, and it's going to be terrible, and no one's going to come to the show. And there were always these excuses. <sighs> Man, we don't have last year's vocal. Man, last year's drum player, he got a scholarship to College X. If only we had him. The equipment is one year older. It's worse. You know what? Every year as the seniors put on this show, it was just as good. You know why? Because that musical had the same director for decades. It was the same humble, unassuming woman who put all the pieces together, who guided us, who worked through the drama and the fear and the uncertainty and guided every year this new group of seniors to put on this musical. It was just as good, if not better, every single year. Verse 12 says this, Peter says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter is saying, listen, it's Jesus who did this. Just as Jesus healed in John 5, just as Jesus healed years ago, just as Jesus taught and preached, it's the same Jesus who is ministering and working today as we speak. 
Peter understands it's Jesus who did this. And as we find throughout Acts, as the church realizes more and more that it's Jesus who's working among their midst, they become emboldened in their faith. They become courageous in their proclamation. They become less concerned about themselves and their own weaknesses. You know, in Acts 4, they, they, their lives are in danger. They're interrogated by the religious leaders. They're saying, stop this, stop this madness. But you know how they respond? They respond with such boldness and courage. Where do you think they got that from? Well, they got that from Jesus. When Jesus was being interrogated, Jesus responding with courage and boldness. You see, the ministry of the apostles is the same as the ministry of Jesus. Now, I I read Acts a number of times, many, many times. But for the first time, I realized something about Acts this week. If you go to Acts 1, 1 to 2, this is how Luke starts this book. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, every time I read this, I just read it like, okay, here's another introduction. He's talking about, you know, uh, Luke, what Jesus had did, and now he's going into Acts, what's happening in the church. But I read this again with this in mind, and I realized, oh my goodness, you know what Luke is doing? Look what he says. In the first book, so in Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Not what he did and finished until the day he was taken up, but I recorded everything that he started to do. And the implication is this. He's saying, now as I write Acts, I'm talking about everything that he is continuing to do. So Luke was about how Jesus first started his ministry, and Acts is about how Jesus is continuing that ministry. And when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness. You see, Acts is about Jesus working in and through the church. See, it isn't a story, this book of Acts isn't a story about how Jesus just handed the baton to the church and it says, here, you take over, good luck. No. It's a story about how Jesus continues to minister and work now in and through the church by the Holy Spirit. So as a generation comes and a generation goes, we are left with this same question. Can we continue the ministry of Jesus? And the answer is yes. Because Jesus continues to minister by his Holy Spirit. And so friends, with that in mind, we need now to listen to Peter's message this morning as being relevant for us today, just as it was for the original hearers. You know, I think one of the reasons why the church today lacks so much repentance, why we don't see repentance occur as we do in Acts 3 is because the first part, the message about our sins, we see not as relevant for us. 
You see, for repentance to be real, for times of refreshing to be upon the church, we have to listen to the first part of the message. The message that by your sin, you delivered Jesus up. It was you who denied the holy and the righteous one. You killed the author of life by your sins. We have to listen to this message as a message for us first. Yes, it wasn't the first century Jews or the first century Romans or the first century Pharisees, the first century Sadducees who killed Jesus. It was us, you and I, by our sins. We are the ones who delivered Christ over. We are the ones who denied him. We are the ones who asked for a murderer to be handed over in his place. We killed the author of life. But as, Paul, as Peter preaches, this was according to God's purposes and plan. The message this morning is the same. The crucified Christ is Lord. Jesus, who was crucified, is Lord over all. Therefore, this morning, the call for us is to repent that times of refreshing may come our way. We are reminded this morning that what God has done in Christ Jesus was according to the Scriptures, was according to the prophets, and that God is today orchestrating all these things as He is restoring the world and as we are awaiting the return of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, what is going on in the church today? Are we some dying breed of a religious movement that was started thousands of years ago, that started with vigor and fervor, but now is just bleeding out? What do you view the church today? Do you look back to the Gospels and even Acts and think, wow, that's amazing. Man, why can't we be like that? Or do you see as the gospel writers and as Luke intended, for us to see Christ ministering in the church today with the same power, with the same authority. And can we, when push comes to shove, respond with the same boldness and courage, knowing that our crucified Christ is Lord? You know, I think we can come up with all of these excuses as the church. We can come up with all of these excuses as to why the church is so powerless, as to why we have, you know, so little courage, as to why, you know, we think, man, you know, the church is not the same as it was in the past generation. We can come up with all of these excuses. But likewise was the case with Peter. I mean, imagine him standing up, preaching in front of thousands. This is the guy who denied Jesus three times, and everyone knew he was the scaredy cat who ran away. 
They could have said, who are you? Come on, you Peter? You have no right to do that. I mean, all the disciples who ran away, I mean, what are, what are they going to think? They're, the church is probably thinking, oh my goodness, our leader is gone. He just ascended. We don't even know where he is. What are we supposed to do? And they're probably thinking, you know, should we just disband? Should we just stop this to save ourselves? We find in Acts that what Jesus began to do, he was continuing by his Holy Spirit. And the faith that you and I have as we move forward is that this Christ, who by his power and authority delivered people up from life or from death to life, is the same Lord ministering to us by his Holy Spirit. And so, may we be emboldened, may we be courageous. May we stop focusing on our own weaknesses and coming up with our own excuses. Remember, you will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. The power of Christ, the authority of Christ, is upon you and I to go and proclaim, to go and heal, to go and minister in Jesus' name. Would you join me in prayer at this time?